Welcome to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, Today is the day towards which the celebrations of the previous weeks have been hastening, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Today's celebration marks a certain pivot point within the Christian life, bringing one liturgical year to a close and bidding us prepare for the one to follow, beginning next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent. That said, with the season of Advent following closely behind the culmination of this liturgical apex of sorts, the Church will ask us to redouble our efforts toward preparing for the coming of Christ as we make ready for Christmas. In this sense, today's celebration marks not only an end, but serves as an axis around which the immediate time-space of the liturgical seasons turn. More to it, given the nature of the celebration, it likewise serves as a focal point on the horizon of the Christian life in its entirety. These time-space tensions suggest something of the deeper reality of the nature of Christian life this side of eternity. That is, we live in an already but not yet time in salvation history. Said differently, salvation has indeed already come and been gifted to us by the life, passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in this sense we already have a share in and live out of the eternal kingdom of God. However, the perfect fulfillment of this kingdom, its coming in its full glory, perfection, and power, awaits the second coming of the Son, and in this sense, we do not yet experience its fullness. This, my friends, is a message of hope. The perennial political and social chaos that plagues our world, regardless of where we locate ourselves on the political spectrum, provides many reasons to worry, many causes of anxiety. One of the best examples of this occurs each election cycle, when we are bombarded with political ads, saturated with hyperbolic vitriol and apocalyptic rhetoric, each side promising that the salvation of the country rests on their being put in power, and assuring their listeners that for the other side to win would surely mark the end of existence as we know it. Consequently, on the one hand, those who consider themselves conservative look at their brothers and sisters on the other side of the political aisle, for make no mistake, that is what they are, as progressive leftists, seeking the destruction of everything the country stands for. On the other hand, those considering themselves liberal look at their brothers and sisters on the other side of the aisle, for make no mistake, that is what they are, as standing in the way of social progress and the creation of a more equitable society. Today's celebration is a reminder that real salvation will not come at the hands of any political party nor will lasting peace this side of eternity be established by political leaders. Instead, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, proclaims once again the controversial refrain uttered by the very first Christians, not Kaiser Kyrios, but Christos Kyrios, not Caesar is Lord, but Christ is Lord. 
Thereby, Christians are reminded that the degree of peace to be had this side of eternity depends on our willingness to hand over our lives in their entirety to the Prince of Peace, taking upon ourselves his easy yoke, which not only joins us to him, but in him to one another. For as St. John tells us in chapter 4 of his first epistle, those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. John is alluding here to the twofold command to love God and neighbor, affirmed as the greatest commandment by our Lord when questioned, as discussed several weeks ago. This greatest commandment is no mere law in the human sense. It is rather ontological in nature and cosmic in scope. It is the law of the universe, if you will. The thread by which our God knit together all things when bringing them into existence through his word. If we look around our world and see, quite obviously so, that something is amiss, then something is desperately wrong, that we are making no progress towards peace. Today's celebration asks us to come to the realization that the reason for this is nothing less than that we have failed to live in accordance with the law of love undergirding all of reality. It is as though our lives, individually and socially, pull away from that which sustains our very existence, and the result is unrest. How could it be otherwise? It is perhaps then something of comfort that the turmoil we experience today is nothing new. Societal turmoil and the struggle for peace is a perennial problem for the human family since Cain slew his brother Abel. And so it has been down through the centuries. In 405 AD, preaching to the people of Carthage in North Africa, St. Augustine of Hippo noted the grumbling of the people. The times are troubled. The times are hard. The times are wretched. And his response is the same one that must be reissued today. Live good lives, and you will change the times by living good lives. You will change the times, and then you will have nothing to grumble about. Augustine is here recommending to his listeners and us nothing else than what we pray for as Christians every day in the prayer Jesus taught us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Augustine's own exegesis of the Lord's Prayer echoes a passage from Luke that is thematically related to today's solemnity. There, the Pharisees ask Jesus when the kingdom of God is coming, and our Lord answers, The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is within you. In his commentary on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, St. Augustine draws out five meanings of this petition, four of which are important for our theme today. In the first, he writes that the meaning of this petition is that in the same way that God's will prevails among the angels in heaven, who are completely united to God and rejoice in God, so let it be among your saints who are on earth. The following three interpretations get us directly to the heart of our readings for today and echo what we've already heard Augustine say about changing the times, as well as the tension between the already but not yet time we live in. The second interpretation is this, praying thy kingdom come thy will be done can also mean that as it is with the righteous and the saints, so also with sinners, which he adds should be taken to mean that Christians ought to pray for their enemies so that those estranged from God may be reunited to him. However, Augustine is never one to let Christians rest easily or think themselves superior to others because they have been given the grace of faith 
And so, the next interpretation of this petition he gives is that we might overcome the sin that we struggle with in our very selves. Finally, Augustine says the petition can also mean asking God that his will be done in the church as it is in Christ. It is this final interpretation that is able to bring about true change in the world so that the kingdom of God is an ever greater present reality this side of eternity as we wait in joyful hope for the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It has already been mentioned that the kingdom of God and indeed the cosmos in its entirety has been woven together by the single thread of the twofold command to love. Yet our reflection on the Lord's Prayer has led us to find various meanings in the kingdom that all flow towards the dawning of a reality that transforms individuals from the inside, and in the final meaning, that the coming of the kingdom of God is the coinciding of the life of Christ and the church. This points to the very nature of the kingdom of God that is gestured toward by the images in today's readings. In the first part of his work, Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph Ratzinger explores Jesus' teachings concerning the kingdom of God and concludes that, in some way or another, the kingdom of which Jesus speaks is to be found in Jesus himself. Further on, after affirming the same reading, he qualifies this by writing that, The parables speak in a hidden way, then, of the mystery of the cross. In the parables, Jesus is not only the sower who scatters the seed of God's word, but also the seed that falls into the earth in order to die and so to bear fruit. Ratzinger finds the same meaning in the image of Jesus as the good shepherd in another of his works, thus giving us direct entry from all that has already been said to today's readings. In the spirit of the liturgy, Ratzinger says that above all, the early church used the image of Jesus as the good shepherd by connecting it with the Greek philosophical concept of the Logos. The Logos, Ratzinger writes, through whom all things were made, who bears within himself, so to speak, the archetypes of all existing things, is the guardian of creation. In the incarnation, he takes the lost sheep, human nature, humanity as a whole onto his shoulders and carries it home. The image of the shepherd thus sums up the whole of salvation history, God's entry into history, the incarnation, the pursuit of the lost sheep, and the homeward path into the church of the Jews and Gentiles. This is precisely what we find in our first reading for today from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. There God says through the prophet, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered. I myself will pasture my sheep. I myself will give them rest. The lost I will seek out. The strayed I will bring back, and the injured I will bind up. The sick I will heal, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Thus we see the image of the Good Shepherd caring for the sheep, giving special care and support to the weak and admonishing the proud so that all might be united in the one flock. The last line here is curious though. For God says through Ezekiel, I will feed them with justice. What do we make of this? To reduce this passage to a simple matter of social justice as used in today's popular culture simply won't do, given all that has preceded in our discussion on the kingdom of God. That said, it does not exclude it either as the twofold command to love certainly calls for a certain type of social justice, though a deeper and more authentic form. 
Four, the answer that must be given regarding the type of justice mentioned by God through the prophet Ezekiel is the very same as that given to the question of the kingdom of God. Drawing from the work of St. Paul, St. Augustine repeatedly refers to Christ as the just one. For example, in Sermon 2.20, using words very reminiscent of Ratzinger's, Augustine says to his listeners, We know, brothers and sisters, that Christ died once for us, the just one for sinners, the Lord for slaves, the free man for the captives, the doctor for the sick, the blessed for the wretched, the wealthy for the needy, and what is more astonishing than all that, the creator for the creature. And then, concluding this thought in words we must very carefully attend to, Augustine adds, giving life by his strength, dying in his weakness, unchanging in Godhead, subject to our suffering in the flesh, as the apostle puts it, who is handed over for our misdeeds and rose again for our justification. The words to attend to are at the center of this dynamic. Augustine teaches us that precisely by dying and rising again, Jesus has given us life by his strength. Augustine's Latin here is virtute vivificantem, which ought to be rendered giving life by his virtue. The retranslation is an important one, as it will connect for us the psalm for today and the gospel while providing us with a very practical and livable interpretation. In Book 10 of The City of God, Augustine discusses the Eucharist at length, and he describes our reception of the Eucharist in this way. It is by spiritually embracing him that the intellectual soul is filled and impregnated with true virtues. We are enjoined to love this good with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. To this good, we ought to be led by those who love us, and to lead those we love. Thus are fulfilled those two commandments on which hang all the law and the prophets. The dynamic Augustine describes here is that found in the responsorial psalm for today, and the desired outcome of being fed with justice by God spoken of in Ezekiel. In the well-known Psalm 23, we are told that the Lord as shepherd leads us in the paths of righteousness or justice for his namesake. Said differently, to live righteously or justly is to live in accordance with the just one, whose name we bear as Christians. The psalm then goes on to say that the righteous or just life is nourished by the table spread before us in the presence of our enemies. That is, we are fed on the life of the just one, amidst the trials and tribulations of this world. But why? Precisely so that we might draw others into the kingdom of God, as already discussed. And how do we do this? Through the goodness and mercy that follow us, or better, that we partake of and follow, giving us safe lodging within the house of the Lord all the days of our life, as we hear in verse 6 of the psalm. My friends, this weekend, Jesus, the divine shepherd, calls us to live the divine life he shares with us. Just further on in Book 10 of the City of God, Augustine tells us that, having partaken in the Eucharistic sacrifice and shared in the life of the just and merciful one, we must live so as to make our life one continual sacrifice of Eucharistic praise. He writes, True sacrifices are works of mercy to ourselves or others done with a reference to God. 
These are the sacrifices fitting of those who participate in the life-giving passion of Christ in the Eucharistic liturgy and consume its bounty under the guise of bread and wine. It is by these true sacrifices, then, the works of mercy, that we embody the kingdom of God in our lives and make it concretely present in our world and thereby transfigure the world. Moreover, it is our willingness to have so sacrificed that will ultimately be the criteria by which we will be judged as our Lord makes clear in the gospel for today. Whatsoever you did for the least of mine, you did for me. Today, let us pray earnestly to God to give us the grace to make his kingdom come through our words and actions so that they may announce and establish the reign of the one true king who alone can give us lasting happiness and peace. Christos Kyrios. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.